Well, thanks for having me back. Um, it's great to be here. Um, and I always feel like you give me really meaty topics. There is absolutely no slacking here. So every time I come, you give me a challenge. Um, so hopefully we'll get somewhere in Hebrews today. Now, I don't know whether you have seen those um, drills that they do, particularly in Japanese zoos. Um, I can highly recommend that maybe not in the next hour, but when you get home, Google Japanese zoo drills and you will see things like this. So um, you might be, you might just notice that these are not real animals, um, that there are people inside them and they do these drills so that um, if there's an earthquake and um, the animals escape, that they're prepared. But they are amazing to watch. The rhino is particularly good um, and there's one with a zebra where it sort of very slow motion attacks someone and that person then slow motion falls to the ground. They're amazing. Go home and um, Google some because they're brilliant. But in 2014, a zoo in Tenerife was running a training drill a bit like this to practice what they would do if one of their gorillas escaped. So they got a colleague to dress up in a gorilla costume and run around the zoo. But unfortunately an alarm was set off accidentally and somehow the zoo's vet didn't know what was going on so he thought it was a real crisis he took a tranquilizer gun and because um, he, he wanted to stop that gorilla rampaging through the zoo he managed to get a dart into his colleague what a hero um, and then discovered it was a person in a gorilla suit which makes me worry slightly about a zoo vet but um, unfortunately, that person had to go to hospital because they'd been darted and they got an allergic reaction. Um, and obviously, this is how you would expect an introduction to Hebrews 9 and 10 to start. Um, but basically, these are practice runs. They're, they're things that prepare people for the real thing. If there was a real zoo emergency, they wouldn't bring out that rhino. They would be ready for it because they've practiced in other ways. And these are a tiny little bit like these chapters of, Heroes, uh, of Hebrews. Also, it means that we get to... I get to make you look at these pictures. So, I don't know whether you have seen the Bible Project video of Hebrews. If you haven't, it's worth a watch. Um, and so they say in that there are two main aims of the book of, Heroes, of, of Hebrews. I'm going to do that all the time, aren't I now? So, um, they say there's two main aims. And one is to show that Jesus is, to, is superior. And they is superior to lots of different things, which they go through in the different chapters. So, in chapters 1 and 2, it looks how Jesus is superior to angels. In 3 and 4, it's how Jesus is superior to Moses. Moses um, and, and is part of this new promised land. Then Jesus as greater than the priests and this mysterious Melchizedek. Um, and then in the bit that we're going to look at, it shows how Jesus is a better sacrifice and better than the old ways of doing things. And the other purpose, they say, of the book of Hebrews is to speak to potential Christian dropouts to tell them to hang on in there. That if they were thinking about giving up their faith, that here are all the reasons why you shouldn't do that. So those are the main points of Hebrews. And this section that we're going to look at this morning is to show how important Jesus is and what he did for us. And then it gives a new hope for people that are considering giving up their faith. And all throughout these first chapters that you've been looking at, the author is building 
building up this argument to prove that we can trust Jesus, to prove that Jesus is the one who deserves our devotion. And in those early chapters, he's taken in this whole sweep of Old Testament theology, and this section is no different. So in the uh, Old Testament, uh, for a lot of the time that the Israelites were around, the centre of their worship was the tabernacle. This is not a photograph of the old tabernacle, it's a copy of the old tabernacle, in case you thought somehow I had access to very, very old photographs. Um, So the tabernacle was this series of structures, and it was a bit like a mobile shrine or a travelling worship centre. So when the Israelites were moving around, they would camp somewhere, the tabernacle would be right at the centre. And there are very detailed instructions for the tabernacle in the Old Testament. They were given directly to Moses. So then inside the enclosure, there was the tent, and inside there was the holy place, and beyond that was the most holy place. And offerings were made in there at particular times of the year. Now, um, I've got a quiz. So (coughs) uh, this is a screenshot of my menu bar of my Word uh, program. And so... Let's see if you know what things are. Does anybody know what this symbol here is for? Yes. Cut. Excellent. And anyone know this one? Paste. Excellent. This one? Print. Gosh, you're very good. Last one? Save. Absolutely right. Um, That's a floppy disk. Who has ever saved something onto a floppy disk? Excellent. Who has never, ever saved something onto a floppy disk? There'll be people in here who've never saved things onto floppy disks. And so you don't have to have used a floppy disk to know what the symbol is. So we know that that is save, whether or not we've used a floppy disk. Um, We don't have to understand the, the picture completely in order to get the meaning. But if we click on that, hopefully our documents will all be saved. And next time we open them up, they'll be there. So the symbol is really old, but it's just been taken over for a new purpose. And the writer of Hebrews does a really similar thing. He takes the symbols of the Old Testament and the ideas that the audience would have been really familiar with, which you were all really familiar with these symbols, well done, but he gives them a new twist. He updates them. He's not saying that these things were wrong. When we all used, I've used floppy disks, when we all used floppy disks, we didn't think, oh my goodness, this technology is so antiquated. They were quite exciting. Now, the fact that you could save something onto a disk was really good. Now we just put it in the cloud and it's saved somewhere else. But we didn't think that technology was terrible. When there was something new, we thought, oh, this is better. And that's the same thing that Hebrews is saying. So we're going to now pick up the story in chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, then we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse 11 do also have it here. So I'm going to be reading from Tom Wright's translation, and I, then I realise that every time I come here, I feel like I just use Tom Wright. And um, I do use other sources, but um, I find him quite good to read out loud. So Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. But when the Messiah arrived as high priest of the good things that were coming... He entered through the greater and much superior tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of the present creation, and not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered once and for all into the holy place, 
accomplishing a redemption that lasts forever. If the, bulls and, if the blood of bulls and goats, you see, and the sprinkled ashes of a heifer make people holy, in the sense of purifying their bodies when they'd been unclean, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who offered himself to God through the eternal spirit as a spotless sacrifice, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the tabernacle, that tent that we were thinking about, was a really important part of everyday life for the Israelites. It was the way that they, the people that followed God, could meet with him. It was the way they could get their sins forgiven. Then after the tabernacle, when they settled down, there was the temple building. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, all of these ideas come together in Jesus. Jesus is better than the old system better than the tabernacle he was a person and uh, a person that was better than all the sacrifices that had happened this was the better sacrifice the eternal spotless sacrifice like with that floppy disk we see it and we know what it means and then there's a new system now it's in the cloud and here is Jesus the new system and John 1.14 says that Jesus lived among us. But the word that's used there is tabernacled. He dwelt with us. He lived the perfect life. And then he gave his life so that we could get that relationship with God that we were designed to have. He gave his life as the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is better than everything that had come before says Hebrews, this old way of doing things with priests and sacrifices wasn't completely effective for all time. They had to keep doing the sacrifices. It only worked temporarily. But with Jesus, as verse 15 says, there is, he is the mediator of a new covenant, a new way, a better way. And so Hebrews tells us that that old way of doing things, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the blood, that was the way to get to God in the past. But there was something better to come. And in the past, it had only been the priests that could communicate directly with God. And they were the ones that could get temporary forgiveness for the people. And they could, at certain times, go and communicate with God. But here in Hebrews, we get this new priest, the new sacrifice, the new way to communicate directly with God. And most importantly, to get forgiveness for sins that lasts. So I live in Bury St Edmunds and I work in Cambridge and this is my normal commute home. Um, but at the end of last year, they, they're always doing roadworks, aren't they? It feels like there is permanent diversions in place. But towards the end of last year, they were doing loads of resurfacing work. And um, what they wanted me to do was to... Actually, they wanted it to be more complicated than this because they wanted me to come off at Barrow, go back on the A11, go back on the A14 to go up the A11 to come back to my house. So this was a diversion that they sent me on. And um, for, you know, it was around Christmas party season. It was around the time when I had loads of really big end of year deadlines. And so I was working late. And one day I managed to sneak through as the last car past those cones. But often they didn't let me do that. And so I had to go on this enormous diversion to get back to my house. 
and N.T. Wright, sorry, he, he draws this comparison between going through this diversion and driving the actual final route. So that diversion was a temporary measure. When they re I don't do this route anymore, I'd be stupid if I did this route now, because the road is reopened, and I can drive straight down the A14 and get back to my home. But if I did that diversion, it would be really stupid when the way is open. And that's what Hebrews is saying. That the, the old way, the sacrificial system, was that diversion. And now we've got this new route. You don't need to do that diversion anymore. There's a better route. God had a plan the whole time. So here we see complete forgiveness of sins in Hebrews 9. And because of that, this direct route to God, that Jesus Christ, as both the priest and the sacrifice, makes us holy. And that is humbling and mind-blowing. How he completely fulfills the role of a priest and the role of a sacrifice. He shouldn't be a priest. He's not from the right tribe. But yet he does both. And he gives us complete forgiveness. So chapter 9 goes on from verse 6. Dean, where there is a covenant, you see, it is vital to establish the death of the one who made it. A will laid down in covenant only takes effect after death. It has no validity during the lifetime of the one who made it. That's why even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been read out to the people by Moses, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has made with you. Then in the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the vessels used in worship with blood. In fact, more or less everything is purified with blood according to the law. There's no pardon without bloodshed. And this comes to the heart of the matter, that to get forgiveness, there had to be blood. When God miraculously helped the Israelites to escape out of Egypt, there had to be blood. The whole sacrificial system in the tabernacle, in order for people to get forgiveness, there had to be blood. And in the old way of doing things, it was the blood of goats and calves. You were okay for a while, and then your, but your sins weren't really taken away. You couldn't really get forgiveness in any final sense. But here is the sacrifice of Jesus, opening up that new way. You don't have to take that diversion anymore. The route is open up for us to get there directly. And chapter 10 carries on telling us that this old way has been replaced by something better. It says that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And he says in chapter 10, verse 11, every high priest stands daily at his duty, offering over and over the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. This sense of repetition, the endless sequence of sacrifices going over and over and over. The priest stands because his work hasn't finished. He stands daily. That work just doesn't stop. And ritual and religion can never make us right with God. And then in chapter 10, we get the beautiful contrast in verses 12 and 14. But Jesus offered a single sacrifice on behalf of sins for all time 
and then sat down at the right hand of God. By a single sacrifice, you see, he's made perfect forever those who are sanctified. His death, once, which gives us eternal salvation. A single sacrifice for all time for us to get forgiveness. And it is incredible. And sometimes it's hard to believe. And our response should be grateful hearts. It should be thankfulness. And what our response should not be is to turn our back on that. To say, well, thanks, but that's really just not for me. What we give can seem so small in comparison to what Jesus gave. But we need to offer our worship to this new high priest. We need gratitude for our new way being opened up to get back to God. And Jesus did it. He was the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate because it was the best and the ultimate because it was the last. There was nothing else needed. But it's in our nature as humans, I think, to make things more complicated than they necessarily need to be. Um, So I work in Cambridge and uh, I work in a museum that's part of the university. And our students really like a word that I absolutely hate, that I didn't really realise was real um, until one of them said it and I had to go and look it up. Um, And that is problematise. And all that means is to make things into problems. And so we were doing some research around one of our cases in the museum and they said, the students said, I really think you need to problematise this display. I thought, what on earth does that mean? What a ridiculous word. But I think we all like to problematise. There's no such thing as a free lunch, we think. I definitely am not going to get, I'm not going to get loads of money if I send my bank details to that person that emails me. And I think we complicate our lives and we complicate our faith. And sometimes we think this can't possibly be it. Surely this sacrifice is not it. Surely there must be more. This open road looks too easy. And so we think that we can take the complicated long diversion and that will be better for us. And that will really prove to God that we're serious about things. And we end up thinking, what do I need to do? What can I offer God so that my prayers will be answered in the way I want? How can I make things okay with God? How can I do the right thing? And we get on that diversion When the road has been opened by Jesus, by his sacrifice, and then sitting down at the right hand of God. Because Hebrews tells us we can't do anything, because Jesus has already done it all. 9 verse 12, he entered once and for all into the holy place, accomplishing a redemption that lasts forever. And we just need to trust him. We need to give up our need for our own independence And trust him. There had to be a sacrifice. And there was one. Once and for all. We couldn't do that. But Jesus could and he did it. So what have I replaced Jesus with? How am I problematizing? I hate myself for using it. How am I problematizing my faith? How am I making things into a diversion rather than going straight to Jesus in my life? What am I tempted to offer Jesus as a bargain to make him answer my prayers? You might not have been tempted to go and do some sacrifices of bulls and calves, which is good because my calf is in the car with the window cracked open. But we can create complicated ways that we think we can get to God. We create our own ritual and religion, but that will never 
get us right with God. We can think that saying certain words in a prayer is the way to get God to say yes. We can transform our faith into a complicated mathematical formula of our offerings equals God being our God. We can think that we have to turn up to every church service to get God to love us. And if we promise God one thing, then he will say yes. And we create these scenarios that put us on that diversion. And Hebrews tells us we just need blood. We need the perfect sacrifice. And more than that, it's done. It's finished. Jesus' sacrifice is the better sacrifice. And we can know forgiveness. And we can get right with God. How have we become so set in our ways? So convinced that our diversion is the right way. And we've missed the route that is directly open to Jesus. Through Jesus, back to God. How are we making our faith more complicated than it really needs to be? And here are symbols, simple symbols of what Jesus did to remind us. Where have we been tempted to give up on our faith? Like that, the the writer to Hebrews wrote this book so that people that were tempted to give up on their faith, to tell them to hang on in there. We might not be tempted to give it up completely, But maybe there's areas that we're tempted to water down a little bit. To make sound a little bit less strange. To make it sound a bit easier for people that we meet at school or at work. Because the things like this, the things that God demanded a sacrifice, he demands blood. It sounds strange to our ears now. And so how do we give up on our faith by just compromising it a little bit? making it sound a little bit less weird and sometimes it feels easier to change what we believe and that puts us on that diversion when here is the route open back to God that direct path we need to acknowledge that Jesus is the one who's done it all and afterwards he sat down because it was complete and maybe your diversion is actually a struggle to believe that you are really forgiven Maybe there's something in you that you think, oh, I've really hurt that person. I've hurt them so deeply and I don't think that I can forgive myself. And you are the one that reminds God of that thing that you've done. The Christian writer Corrie ten Boom, she's a Dutch Christian who ended up in a concentration camp. And she said this, and we confess our sins. God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. Then God places a sign out there that says no fishing allowed. And we struggle with the times to think that we are totally forgiven. Because God forgives us and then we rake it up again. And we think, how can God forgive me for that thing? Because I hurt myself, I hurt someone else. How can he really forgive me? But he has forgiven it because of what Jesus has done. We put our faith and trust completely in him. We give up our independence, give our lives over to him. And God puts up that no fishing sign and says, you don't need to bring it up anymore because I've forgiven it. It's done. It's dealt with. Don't go fishing for your sin once it's been confessed. Let God forgive you. Know the high priest and his sacrifice. Know that it has been dealt with. 
And at the beginning, we thought about zoos and um, doing their practice for their animal escapes. And maybe you feel a little bit like that person in the gorilla suit. You don't look like it. It's fine. But maybe you're just pretending. Maybe you're hanging out at church, but just pretending to be a Christian. Maybe you feel like giving up because you've never really given it all to start with. Well, maybe today's the day to get that sorted. To understand there's nothing that you can do. Jesus has done it all. It's time to stop getting to God by going on your own diversions. Time to stop pretending. And it's time to trust in that sacrifice that Jesus made. And to get right with God. Jesus offered the ultimate sacrifice, once and for all, permanent. And through it, we can know permanent forgiveness. We can be saved. And we're going to remember it shortly through the taking of bread and wine, that Jesus gives us this direct access to God, no more diversions. For us, it's really simple. But it didn't come without cost. It cost Jesus his life. There had to be a death. There had to be blood to get that forgiveness, but it is open to us all. Can we pray? Loving Father in heaven, thank you for the the, the sacrifice that Jesus made. Thank you that he opens that way, that it gives us direct access to you. Father, I'm sorry for the times when I make my faith more complicated. I'm sorry for the times when I put myself on a diversion, when Jesus opened that access to you directly. I'm sorry for the times when I let ritual get in the way, when I think that if I do certain things, you will answer me in the way that I want. Help us all to put our trust solely in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for all that he did. Thank you that he was the perfect sacrifice. Help us to trust him completely. Amen.